listening to The Fret Files, the Guitar Workshop Podcast with Eric Daw. To participate in the show, visit my website, ericdaw.com. That's E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link and send in your question or comment there. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to do it is to call 757-774-8482. You can call or text that number, 757-774-8482. Yes, indeed. This is the Fret Files Podcast. I am Eric Daw, your guitar expert with over 20 years of experience building and repairing guitars. With me, as always, is my lovely wife and co-host, Melissa. Greetings, guitar nerds. Hey, who are you calling a, a nerd? You. Oh. Uh, we've got a lot of really good questions. Questions about solid core copper wire versus stranded core copper wire. Uh, we've got questions about about uh, what what are the questions about did you look at them yeah there's questions about uh when should you do a refret and uh other cool stuff nuts bone nuts versus other materials a follow-up on zero load pots which was cool Uh, a a question about the uh, climate in idaho and how it affects guitars uh bracing on acoustic guitars So we've got some good questions. We're also going to do some guitar news. And, uh, you know, we're getting close to the point where I want to take this to a weekly podcast. I'm hoping maybe, you know, we'll we'll probably do one episode in July and then probably starting like at the end of July or early August, we'll go to a weekly thing and we'll have a new website and uh, it's all going to be super cool. It's going to be really fancy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um I I will have a new website uh, as far as the ericdaw.com goes, too. So watch out for that. Probably by the time you're listening to this, there's a brand new fancy website there. E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. If you want to participate in the show, I highly recommend you do, because if you don't, there's no show. Uh, Go to ericdaw.com, click the contact link, and fill out the form there and submit your comment or question for the podcast. I'll use it as part of the show. The other way to participate is to call 757-774-8482. And I will, uh, it, it's just a voicemail and I'll use your message on the show. Uh, shall we do some guitar news? Uh, before we start, I have kind of a little announcement. Oh, go. Uh, yeah. So this weekend, so today's Thursday, June 29th. Uh, but this weekend is my birthday. Oh yeah. July 1st is my birthday. And in honor of my birthday, I am offering 27% off in my Etsy shop if you use HBD27. Is that because you were born in 1927? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So that's this weekend only, July 1st, July 2nd. You can get 27% off in my wow, Etsy shop. that's a lot. I know, it is. What's, I kind of have code? a little heartburn about that. Uh, the code is HBD, happy birthday, HBD27. Yeah. So you can guess how old she is. Should we do some guitar news? Let's do it. Guitar news. Well, this caught my eye. This is out of USA Today by Jonathan Ellis. Elvis Presley guitar at center of court battle. A Tennessee man, not Elvis, but a different Tennessee man, a Tennessee man is asking an appellate court to overturn a decision that awarded a guitar once owned by Elvis Presley to a South Dakota museum. The National Music Museum at the University of South Dakota acquired the guitar from Robert Johnson. Whoa, Robert Johnson. <laughs> Wait In a minute. 2012. Oh, it must be a different Robert Johnson. That's I'm sure that's a common name. No, there's only been one man, and he sold his soul to the devil. Right, when he was... Well, he died when he was 27, you know. Let's not talk about it. This is how Acquired the guitar from Robert Johnson, different Robert Johnson, in 2012 as part of a package of instruments worth a quarter mil. It's a Martin D35, and it was played by Elvis during his final tour in 77. It was damaged during a show in St. Petersburg, Florida, where Elvis gave it to a fan. Then he died six months later. So this poor guy, this fan... Gets the guitar, 
and then six months later, he dies. No, I think, I'm pretty sure that they mean he, he as in Elvis, died six months later, because he died in 1977. Well, that can't be true. Everybody knows Elvis is still alive. Oh, you think that they mean Elvis? Yeah. Oh. Uh, and then Elvis died six months later. Yeah. Well, that changes the whole story. Yeah, according to the mainstream media. Well, this just blew my... Yeah, fake news. God. <laughs> Whatever, USA Today. Um, anyhow, Johnson said the guitar had a dark history because Elvis played the instrument when he was addicted to prescription drugs. That makes a big difference in yeah. whatever's happening. Yeah. And then there's this other fellow, Larry Moss, a Memphis-based memorabilia collector, which that's a lucrative uh, gig. <laughs> a Memphis-based memorabilia collector sued Robert Johnson in Tennessee court, state court, arguing that he was the rightful owner of the guitar, meaning Larry Moss. While that proceeding played out, the museum filed suit against Moss, which ended up in a federal district court in South Dakota, I don't know what's going on here. How did it end up here. in South Dakota? This is so convoluted. I don't. I read this story three times. I still can't figure out who owns the guitar, which I guess is why it's I, in court. Yeah. There's a museum. There's Robert Johnson. There's Elvis, who clearly, you know, yep. owned it at one time. Larry Moss. All these people, and they're all fighting over this guitar. Anyway. At issue in both cases was whether Moss had legally acquired the guitar from Johnson. So blah, blah, blah. They did some kind of transaction, and uh, things went sour. There was a uh, a district court judge, Karen Schreier. Here's another character in this dark, gloomy charade of... This Karen, Judge Karen Schreier ruled that under Tennessee and South Dakota law, the title for ownership does not pass from person to person until the delivery of the item is made because Johnson never possessed the guitar he did not have title to the instrument the decision means the inst- the museum could keep the guitar so the museum's got the guitar i don't know whatever i read this article i can't figure out who owns it really it says here the guitar's fate will now be decided by a three judge panel of the 8th circuit court of appeals what really needs to happen is elvis just needs to step up and say look you know, so-and-so owns the guitar. Yeah. But I, I'm still really... Con- How did this all end up in South Dakota? Who knows? It's a useless story. I don't know why we read it. See, it th- I thought the fan died after getting it. And so that's why it's like, well, who owns the guitar? Because he died and it's been, you know... Right. For well, 40 years, the yeah. ownership of this guitar has been in, in question. I see your confusion, but Elvis died in 1977. Okay. Moving right along, there was a Washington Post article that's been making the rounds on the uh, old internet that if you're a guitar fan, you probably saw it, you probably read it, called Why My Guitar Gently Weeps, The Slow Secret Death of the Six-String Electric and Why You Should Care by Jeff Edgers. I'm not going to read it because it's, uh, well, you can go read it yourself, Washington Post. But basically, the gist of the article is that Fender and Gibson sales are way down. Both companies are struggling in debt. The big, huge retailers like Guitar Center and Sam Ash are struggling. Uh, Fender and Gibson are both having to get creative to stay relevant. So, like, Fender is doing some kind of crazy interactive online guitar lessons to try to retain younger players. And then Gibson... I saw this a few years ago, but Gibson at the NAMM show is trying to get into the like home consumer electronics uh like music electronics like headphones and Oh really? Yeah. That's weird. T- yeah, they had turntables and headphones at the NAM show up at the front of the booth. Gibson did. Yeah. Wow. I know they think they're going to like rather than go head to head with Fender, they're going to go head to head with Sony or, you know, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> what I don't know. That that company's making weird decisions. Anyhow, this article claims that because there's really no more guitar heroes and there's no really guitar-based music, at least not not so much anymore, you know? A lot of the music now is, uh, well, I suppose it's electrically, electronically made on computers and such. Yeah. And so this Jeff Edgers guy, Edgers, says, it's the slow death of the six-string electric 
Well, that's obvious. You think? No. Well, I think it's silly, and I'll tell you why, because about every six years, somebody pops up and says, that's it, rock and roll's dead, the electric guitar's on its way out, and this has been happening since the 50s. Right. I mean, I mean, the late 50s, you know, the electric guitar, they said it was on its way out. Elvis joined the army, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens died, all kinds of guys like, you know, Bill Haley, Link Ray. They couldn't get any traction anymore, couldn't sell records. I mean, Gibson, the, you know, they had the Les Paul model, right? You've heard of it? Oh, yeah. yeah. Named after a guy, coincidentally, goes by the name of Les Paul. Oh. He had a hard time selling records by the late 50s, and they had a hard time selling their Les Paul model. That's why those late 50s Gibson Les Pauls are worth so much money, is because they didn't really sell many of them, is because it was the electric guitar was on its way out. Well, I mean, the Beatles on their on their on their climb to the top were told time and time again, guys, electric guitar bands are on their way out. Guitar guitar music is on its way out, guys. So it's just happened time and time again. It happened in the fifties. It happened in the sixties. There was a big folk revival. It happened in the seventies with disco. Uh, it happened, you know. Uh, well, 80s, like, new wave, techno-centric right. stuff. Rap. Rap was going to yep. kill electric guitar. And now, every time I turn the radio on, I, I don't even hear an instrument. I know. Yeah, it, also, it sounds like a camera rewinding to me. And I can't tell the difference between the commercials and the songs. Right. <laughs> I guess I'm just getting old. And I'm not 27. Uh, anyway, Who's I just 27? think... Yeah. I just think that it's a whole, a whole lot of sound and fury about nothing. It's all happened before. It's cyclical. I mean, we just we we don't know where the next electric guitar booster shot is going to come from or when, but it it will come. It will, and I don't know what I, I don't know what it'll be. It's probably going to be Eric Daw. Yeah, that's not happening. Anyhow, that's my take on that Washington Post article. It was an interesting article, and. Uh, the graphic was cool. Behind the article, there's a guitar burning. As you read it, the guitar burns. And by the time you're done with the article, it's like way up in flames. Wow. Yeah, I'll link to it in the show notes. That's fancy. Yeah. yeah. No, they went all out. Anyhow, that's guitar news. Uh, you know I make guitars, right? You should check them out. Pinupcustomguitars.com. My lovely wife here makes guitar straps at melcoleather.com. We already talked about that. Yeah. And uh, we talked about contacting the show. I won't replug that. So I guess we'll just get right into some questions, shall we? Sounds good. I think we have a call. Hey, Eric, Melissa. Man, that's great news. I'll tell you what. I've been uh, listening to y'all since uh, day one. Just happened to work out the way I found that podcast the uh, very first day. But anyway, this is Roadkill Slim. And I have a question for you. I'll buy a three-quarter size guitar on eBay. And I thought it looked good. Anyway, I found out it was a Telsco guitar. And I've been looking into it, and I found out all kinds of stuff about it. And I was just wondering what your thoughts about it. I've never heard anybody else or you ever talk about it at all. So, uh, man, there's a lot to them. They, crazies but anyway maybe you played one in the short person guitar band when you were when you were playing there but anyway i just wanted to have your thoughts on them or maybe you just throw out something something there because I, I don't know what to read except for the internet but anyway thank you man i tell you what good for you good for you i love to see it baby that is what you need man thank you Roadkill Slim is awesome. I got it. Before we start answering his question, I got to say, I hope that someday I can be awesome enough. I can do something awesome enough to earn a nickname like Roadkill Slim. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, I think he's excited about us going weekly. Is that the deal or is he excited about us moving to Idaho? Well, maybe he's excited about you being able to build more guitars. I think he's excited about all of the above. And dude, thank you so much. I do appreciate it, and thank you so much for listening. 
I really do appreciate it. When I first, I didn't listen close enough to the uh, voicemail the first time I heard it, and I was also scanning through the, uh, you know, when, when people leave a voicemail, Google Voice transcribes it for me. Right. And uh, unless you, in, unless you uh, speak really clear TV English, then they don't really know exactly what you're talking about. So it's funny, half the time the transcription is insane. Yeah. But it said telescope guitar. And I thought he was asking about a telescope guitar. And I'm like, whoa, what is that? Like a guitar with a built-in telescope? Because that sounds awesome. That's what I thought I heard. Yeah, he says Tysco. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, because I I texted him and we talked for a minute back and forth. But yeah, he's talking about a Tysco. Tysco. And Tysco is a great Japanese company they made, it's almost like they accidentally made cool guitars. They didn't really, you know, the, the, they're kind of junky, um, but some of them sound amazing. I mean, those gold foil pickups, the, the, like the like on that guitar right there, I'm pointing to my Telecaster that has a gold foil yeah. neck pickup. Uh, that's a Tysco guitar pickup right there. Cool. And that's a famous pickup. Yeah. Anyhow, Tysco stands for Tokyo Electric Instrument Company and they started in the 50s and a lot like Fender they started making lap steels and then they went to electric guitars they had their own designs crazy radical designs um, some of them really look outlandish if you if you want to have some fun just do a Google Im- image search on Tysco guitars uh, anyhow there's really not much I can tell you about it. I know I've talked about them on the show before uh, because I remember uh I, re- I remember saying something about them. Anyhow, not really much to say. There, there's websites devoted to their to their history and specifications. You could get lost in the internet there. Tysco Guitars. Thanks for the call, Slim. Appreciate it, brother. We get we get stacks and stacks of Hello, Eric and Melissa. I am sure that with the planned shift to more frequent podcasts, you also need more questions. So here's one for the comic relief category. In my home country of Germany, we have the expression Montag's Auto. Uh, That was very good. Thank you. I took two years of German in high school. You can probably tell. Uh, The literal, literal translation of that is Monday car. This is used for a lemon, a car with many faults and things that go wrong. People basically say that this was built on a Monday when all the factory workers were getting back into things after the weekend. Montag's auto. That's funny because here we say it was built on a Friday. We you, do? You've heard that, haven't you? No, I've never heard really? that. Really? Oh, I've heard that all my life. People say, oh, this this thing was built on Friday. What are you, from meaning, the 20s? Meaning that... Uh, <laughs> that it was, you know, the guy is, was weary from the week and looking forward to the weekend and not really paying attention to what he was doing. You know, like this guitar was built at five o'clock on a Friday. This, this, was, a fri- oh. this was a Friday afternoon car. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. But I also You've can You've never see, heard that? Maybe I have and I just don't remember. Well, that's a colloquialism that we use here in America. <laughs> Colloquially. Let's get back to the question. Have you ever encountered Monday guitars? Montag's guitar? Mm-hmm. This would be a guitar that is pretty that is a pretty decent model from a pretty decent maker, but with so many little things wrong that it is a real issue overall. Also, as a builder and repairer, what is your routine to getting back into things after a break to ensure you deliver top-notch quality at all time? Thanks, Axel. Now in the UK, formerly New York City, originally from Germany. Long story. <laughs> World traveler. Thanks, Axel. Um, I've yeah, sure. I see Mon- Montag's guitar, guitarin, all the time. Is that correct, Melissa? I, I don't have any idea. Yeah, you didn't take German. I did, but I'd have a bad. Memory. Uh, I see Friday guitars all the time. You know, I think a lot of it though is, uh, it's just you know, guitars are made out of wood, so you're never sure exactly what the wood wants to do, and they're also going to fluctuate with with humidity and temperature differences so you know you see a guitar I, I, it's amazing to me how many people will encounter a guitar with like sharp fret ends 
And they'll say, what were they doing at the factory that day? Well, it didn't leave the factory that way, likely. It, it, what happens is the wood shrinks um, after it left the factory. And then the frets become sharp. So, yeah, a lot of the times, you know, the, the problems you see pop up on, on you know, problem guitars uh, aren't always factory. But, yeah, definitely I see factory problems. I see, I've seen a lot of Gibsons with the bridge in the wrong place. Like really? vi- like vintage Gibsons. Yeah, they put the two pneumatics slightly off. Don't you think there'd be and some no sort way of to, standard? You'd think. Like a jig uh, they like could use? Maybe a yardstick? Maybe they, <laughs> so they could measure it? That would be cool. Um, Yeah, I see, I've see. i seen that all the time. You see vintage Gibsons where the saddles are back as far as they can go, and there's, there's it's still not in tune. See it all the time. In fact, they sell special adapters where the, there's a post and then an offset post so that you can actually move the bridge without having to redrill a new hole. Oh, it's wow. It's that common of a problem that they sell an adapter to. So that's, I'd call that a Montauk's guitar. Guitarin. Guitar. I don't speak German. I'm so sorry. Um... Yeah, you know, you see them. You definitely see them. With fenders, not so much, because fenders are so modular. Meaning, you know, they're just assembled from parts. Right. Where a Gibson really is more of a cohesive unit. Right. You can't take the neck off and such. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool question. As a builder and repairer, what's your routine to get back into things after a break? Well, uh, typically what I do is make sure I never take a break. (laughs) And that way I know I'm delivering top-notch quality all the time. No. Uh, Coffee helps. I don't know. I like to... I like to... He's methodical. Yeah. He's extremely methodical. Really? In fact, so much though, so that it bugs me sometimes. How so? You have a very particular way of cleaning the kitchen. Really? Yeah. Like with a rag? Well, it just takes a long time. (laughs) It bugs me. Wow. (laughs) Sorry, I'm so thorough. (laughs) Cleaning the kitchen. God. I didn't know it offended you. Um, Yeah, I, I, I definitely like to make sure I'm in my zone. So whatever mood I'm in, I try to find some music to match it. Or if I'm not in the mood for music, I'll listen to a podcast or a talk show uh, to fit my mood. Um, A lot of times I'll skip the task at hand and move on to something else if the task at hand doesn't quite appeal to me early in the day and leave it till later. You know, I mean, just typical things that everybody does, I'm sure. These are these. This is what comes to mind. Anyhow, Axel, thanks for the question, brother. Hi, Eric and Melissa. My question is related to your recent move. How has the change in climate affected your guitar building? Wait, did the climate change? Yes, I am assuming Idaho is a lot drier than oh, Seattle because we moved, right? As well as colder in the winter. Do you have any comments? No. I'm so sorry. I'm being too methodical. <laughs> Will it affect the way you store wood or the times of year you can spray finishes? Or will the differences not be big enough to worry about? Cheers, Scott from London. Thanks, Scott. I don't know yet because we just got here. But I've lived here before, so I know kind of what to expect. And I do It is a lot drier. Yeah, I think... It is a lot colder. I think that it's going to be a net gain. If I were building acoustic guitars... I'd be a little more worried about it, and I've been keeping a close eye on my acoustics to make sure they don't crack. I have a few, but I don't build acoustic guitars. Electric guitars, especially the modular type that I am building, uh, they're just not as subject to um, humidity and temperature differences as as acoustic guitars are, they, you know, they are, but it's not, you know, you don't have like thin tops that are going to crack or anything like that. Right. So I'm not too terribly worried about it. I think that spraying finishes, it's going to be nicer. I'm definitely, I'm right in the middle of building a a new spray booth now. And, oh, it's going to be sweet. We'll take pictures when it's done. My whole shop in Seattle 
was the size of just what my spray booth is now. I, I, I have six times the space now. It's so awesome. Anyway, I'm building my spray booth now, and I think the lower humidity here, which it's going to be much lower, is really going to help finishes cure harder and faster, which is awesome. Cannot wait for that. And uh, even in the winter, you know, if I crank the heat up, it's going to be nice and dry. I don't think it'll affect when I can spray. Man, I was having to spray finishes through Seattle winters, which are wet, and it was really a... It was tough, man. Yeah, we had to... I had to run a dehumidifier in the shop. And have the heat on all the time. Yeah. Which we'll probably have to figure something out. Which we'll probably have to still do. We'll have to heat the shop all the time, but... Um, I won't have to run a dehumidifier anymore. That's yeah. going to be awesome. Yeah. My God, it seems like it, with if you don't run a dehumidifier, at least the, ho- the house and the shop where I was at, if you didn't run a dehumidifier, the humidity would be up around 75%. I mean, it was yeah. about to rain inside. Yeah. Yeah, the walls are like sticky. Like a swamp. Yeah. Uh, here it's going to be, you know, usually under 50. Right. And down around 30 at you know probably most of the time yeah we, between uh, 30 and 40 yeah, yeah. we li- it, it's the desert we live in the desert now which Literally. rocks yeah i love it oh i'm so you don't realize how much you miss living in the desert till you move back just the landscapes and the the desert rain the smell of the sagebrush i'm telling you yeah i'm in heaven since we got back anyhow it's like we're on a honeymoon i digress like an idaho honeymoon yeah. thanks for the question scott I change my strings about once a month, and when I do this, I take off all the strings the, all the strings at once. I clean the fretboard, and twice a year, I put some oil on it. My question is, should I replace the strings one at a time, or can I stick with my procedure? Thanks for the great podcast, and good luck with your new endeavors. Corey. Thanks, Corey. Stick with your uh, procedure. I, that's what I always do. I always take all the strings off at once. I never change them one at a time. That's something, I think that's kind of an old wives' tale where people, oh, you know, don't you don't want to disturb your guitar. It's just just re- replace the string one at a time because don't otherwise you're, sh- you're going to shock the instrument and it's just going to, yeah, they're, guitars are tougher than you think and, and I wouldn't worry about it. I really wouldn't worry about it. Well, and I feel like if you break one string though and the rest of the strings are relatively fresh... Yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, just fix that one. Yes, of course. Yes. But if you're restringing your guitar, take them all off. And that way, you can get in there and clean. You can wipe down the fingerboard, whatever you're going to do. Yeah, it just makes sense to take all the strings off and then put all the strings back on. Thanks, Corey. Hi, Eric and Melissa. I'm a longtime listener from Belfast in North Ireland. Good luck with your move to Idaho. I'm sure it'll lead to great things for you and your kids. Thank you. I have some follow-up observations about zero-load pots, which you discussed on the latest podcast. You talked about their use as volume controls and the pros and cons of taking the pot out of the signal path. I think a lot of the applications for zero-load or no-load pots are in the tone control, where a guitar turned to wide-open treble with a conventional pot might still be losing some of the upper frequencies. Mm -hmm. He's absolutely right about that. Also, you were bugged by the detent in some of these pots. Very. If you make your own, this wouldn't be an issue. I've seen a fair bit of internet material about making your own no-load pots. You can open a pot up, scrape some of the carbon track away, and reassemble the pot to get zero load in the wide open position. I haven't tried this myself, but I'm thinking about giving it a go on one of my old beaten up project guitars, which lie in pieces around the house. Anyway, keep up the good work. I'm looking forward to more podcasts, although I think... I think you might be putting yourself under too much pressure with a weekly one. Have you thought of maybe going fortnightly? Fortnightly. But but adding more interviews and other items? You haven't done a lot of these, but the ones you carried out early on were great. I'm worried you are spreading yourselves too thin, although extra childcare hasn't affected the quality so far. You guys are just brilliant. Thanks for the great stuff. Take care. Best, Peter. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate that Peter has our well-being in in mind. Yes. That's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's using uh, very very good words like fortnightly. That means every two weeks, by the way. I know. It must, it's, here we have another colloquialism from 
Northern Ireland. From the uh, old west. Yeah. No, I thought, I, I swear to God, I thought fortnightly meant every other night. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a word we use here in America, fortnightly. <laughs> and uh, I only know about fortnightly from uh, Harry Potter. I was probably. a Potterhead when I was in high school. Oh, yeah, that's right. And uh, and what's your novels, Jane Austen novels? You probably know about that. Yeah. From your Jane Austen novels. Uh, yeah, no, I, th- you know, it might be, a, it might be a bit more pressure going weekly, but we want to. Yeah. Well, and we want to, and I'm going to make time to do it because this is, um, this is my new life. You know, I, I'm sailing my own guitar pirate ship here and the podcast is a big part of it. Do I get to wear an eye patch? No, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, well, and the, our problem in Seattle with doing the podcast is every time we do the podcast, we'd have to assemble everything together, put it all together, you know, uh, recording stuff together, and then take it down within the same... Yeah, because we lived in a shoebox. Right. And we have two tiny children that like to tear things apart. Right. So we, we could only do it after they go to bed. So at like midnight, we could start the podcast. That's not true. Yeah. They go to bed earlier than that. But yeah. And then we'd have to take everything down and put it away before the kids got up. Otherwise, you know, there would be half of a laptop in the kitchen sink. Right. Anyhow, I think it's going to be all right. If it's not, then I'll I'll gladly say Peter was right and we should have gone fortnightly. Every other night. Uh, about the no-load pots, you're absolutely right. You, you can make your own. And uh, I, I'm surprised I didn't mention that about tone control because that is, I don't know, sometimes I don't mention everything. What can I say? But yeah, you can make your own. You take it apart, scrape off some of the carbon, and there you go. But... Um, I have, it, it's tricky. It's tricky taking parts, pots apart and putting them back together. Those little tabs that bend over, sometimes they break. You know, it's just crappy metal. It's not really, they're really not made to be taken apart, but they can be. Yeah. But they're cheap enough that you could do experiments on them, right? Yeah. I wouldn't do it with a valuable guitar with vintage potentiometers. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. Awesome follow-up. I love follow-ups like yeah. that, by the way, guys. So keep those coming. That's awesome. Hi, guys. I have an old Harmony flat-top acoustic ladder braced. It is a great guitar. I love it. I recently noticed, though, that one of the braces on the back is loose. Is this something I can fix on my own, or should I have a repair shop do it? I work on my own guitars a little, but I've never re-glued a brace before. Can you walk me through the process? Thanks. Ted in Hawaii. Sure, Ted. Um, I, you know, my gut reaction is to tell you to go have a professional do it if you really love the guitar. If it's kind of a beater and you don't care about it, then take a whack at it. But here's the deal. It's an old harmony, right? Yeah. That, uh, is put together with hide glue. So if you're going to re-glue that brace, really the right way to do it is, is with more hide glue. Um... He says it's loose. It's not. Does that mean it's completely off of the guitar? Or it could. It it could be loose. Or it, you typically what that means is, you know, it's part of it is loose. Just flapping around in there. Yeah. So would he have to take the whole thing off to to fix it? Or uh, a lot of times, no. It just depends on how bad it is. A lot of times, a lot of times, it's just an end of the brace that's kind of come unsprung. You know. Right. And so it would have to be clamped. It's tough to clamp those internally without the right tools. Right. Uh, there's really no way to clamp it, you know, with a traditional clamp, obviously. You have to get in there with a, a brace jack. Which is like a, a turnbuckle, right? Kind of like a, yeah. But it's, it put, it, as you turn it, you know, it, it exerts pressure on the top and bottom. You know, it's a tricky thing to do, and, and, uh, if it's something, like I say, if it's a guitar you don't care about, knock yourself out. But it's hard to get in there and work with, especially when you're working with hot hide glue, to get the glue in the right place and do it cleanly. It's so easy to get to get sloppy in there because, you know, you can't have both of your hands in there at the same time. It's hard to... It's, that's a tricky thing, 
if you've never done it before. Do you, I'm a, I assume that you've done plenty of those. Oh, God, yeah. Because that sounds like a pain in the yeah. butt. Yeah, so what I typically do, I mean, you you have to assess each loose brace as they come. Some of them are completely off the guitar. Some of them are just loose in spots. You know, you got to figure out what kind of glue you're going to use. Um, then what you want to do is take some sandpaper and clean up all the old glue. And what I do is take masking tape and mask off on each side of the brace. And that's tricky because you can only get one hand in there and with your hand in there, you can't see what you're doing. So you have to mask (laughs) it off. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's tricky. Do you need like one of those cameras on a stick on a hose thing? You know how they they snake sewers? Yeah. I need need one of those. I need a guitar snake. Um... But, yeah, you want to mask it off and then sand off the old glue, get a good gluing surface going, and uh, then glue it and clamp it. You want to you want to kind of do a dry run with your clamps first to make sure that your clamping pressure is right and, and that you're able to get it set up quickly and properly. Yeah, it's a tricky thing. It's not... It's It takes a lot of patience, so... Like I say, if it's a guitar you care about, maybe take it to a pro. Shall we uh shall we take a break? Sure. Okay. We'll be right back. Stay tuned. Hi podcast fans, Jay Boone from Emerald City Guitars here. We've been down here in Pioneer Square in downtown Seattle for twenty years and a lot of things have changed. One thing hasn't changed though, we still have a great selection of used and vintage guitars and amps. Now, that's not all we do now here. We also have a great service department, a great staff that's very knowledgeable, and tons of accessories and effects and just about everything you need if you're a guitar player. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary this year, and we're doing all kinds of wonderful things, including giving folks great service, great deals, and shipping around the world. Visit our website at emeraldcityguitars.com, and you can see our entire selection of guitars and apps that we have on our floor at any time. We want to thank you guys for all the great years that you've shopped at our store, and that goes for all the folks not only in the Northwest, but around the country and around the world. Emerald City Guitars, your best source for vintage guitars and apps. Hey, this is Darren Jones from Jones and Fisher. Hello, this is Scott Marshall Watson calling. Just wanted to let everyone know how much I love my pinup guitar. Eric Dawes, pinup custom guitars. Can't say enough good things about them. Pinupcustomguitars.com. It's the closest thing that I've personally found to being anything like a, a real vintage 50s Telecaster style guitar. My name is Jay Boone. I am an owner of two pinup guitars. Eric makes guitars that remind me of the real vintage style guitars, and that's what appeals to me. PinupCustomGuitars.com. It makes me personally a better player. A very vintage sounding instrument, very light and resonant. And I use it all the time. I play with it regularly. Uh, I love the feel of the neck. It's a fat 50 style neck. This is Joshua Joel here. This guitar makes all other guitars that I've owned personally feel like toys in comparison. I love the guitar. It's my uh, my main rig when I'm out on the road. I, I ended up buying two of them and I, I use them both on a regular basis. I'll tell you what, if I had the money, I'd own 10 of them. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate the eagle eye for quality and, and uh, attention to detail. I'm a big fan. Way to go, Eric. Great job, Eric. I really appreciate it. Check one out for yourself. PinUpCustomGuitars.com. That's PinUpCustomGuitars.com. Hey everyone, it's Melissa. As many of you may know, I make tooled leather guitar straps. Each strap is cut, carved, stamped, dyed, and finished by hand. My straps are made to last a lifetime. Visit melcoleather.com to check out my designs or contact me with your custom order. Contact me through my Etsy site or melcoleather at gmail.com. Podcast listeners will receive 15% off their order on Etsy when they use code FRETFILES at checkout. melcoleather.com. M-E-L. C-O-Leather.com. Eric and Mel, love the podcast. It's fabulous infotainment. Eric, I've heard you state previously that bone nuts sound best. In your opinion, would you rank nut materials you've encountered from first bone to worst? 
Mel, I know nothing about how leather is crafted into fine, functional pieces of art. Can you please describe what tooling leather is like for neophytes like me? Eric and Mel, if the fret files were made into a film, Eric, what actress would play Mel? Mel, what actor would play Eric? That's from Bruce. (laughs) Thanks, Bruce. I love these questions. A threefer. Three questions in one. Okay, you go first. Um, Bone nuts. Yeah, he says I've he's heard me state previously that bone nuts sound best. Um, it's kind of a, it's kind of the industry standard. Yeah. Um, given my druthers, I I think ivory is probably preferable. However, ivory is illegal and for good reason. Right. So, bone is kind of the next best thing, but it's brighter than ivory. Uh, in my opinion, and uh, go ahead. You've you've got fossilized ivory. When I, I when, do, when Eric puts ivory on his guitars, it's from like ten thousand years ago. Yeah. So nobody worry about that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's from a woolly mammoth that was poached ten thousand years ago, so it's okay. <laughs> I don't know how he died. I just have his tusk. Uh, however, um, really, you know, this is what I want to say about it. The worst sounding nuts are the ones that don't fit right. It doesn't matter what they're made out of. If they're if they're ill fit and they don't make good contact and they're not nice and tight and you know, I prefer them to be glued in. I know some guitar makers don't glue them in. I prefer them to be glued in. Uh you know, if there's an air gap or something, then there's just no sustain. Right. So the best sounding nut is the one that is fit properly. Right. And uh, what are all, I mean, just tell me all the different materials that that you use to make a nut. Well, I use bone, but, well, but in, industry-wide, right. you have basically, um, I would say you have basically three categories. You have natural material, natural materials like bone, and sometimes on a vintage guitar you'll see a wood nut like ebony. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. Bone, ivory, ebony. Those are the natural materials. And then uh, synthetic materials that are made to simulate bone and ivory, like, uh, what do they call it? Tusk with a Q. Oh, yeah. T-U-S-Q. And Macarta, which is, I think, about the same thing as tusk. It's synthetic bone. It's supposed to be synthetic ivory and synthetic bone. Interesting. And then kind of your third category is just crappy plastic, like the kind of plastic that, you know, your your TV is made out of, basically. Oh. Just crappy, like garbage, like your your average black garbage can. Just basically, that uh, this about that. It's about like that. Did, did Have they ever made Bakelite nuts? Because that sounds like it would be really cool. Probably some of the old guitars. In fact, I know some of the really old Rickenbackers, like back in the 20s and 30s, the, the whole guitar was Bakelite, including wow. the nut and the frets. That sounds awesome. Yeah. And the frets? Yeah, it was it was a, a solid chunk of Bakelite. Why don't we have one of those guitars? I, I don't know. Why don't we have one of everything? Uh, it's just another guitar oddity that sounds from really the past. awesome yeah i've worked on them before they're crazy they came in electro spanish models meaning you know you play it like a like a normal modern guitar with a round neck some of them were like that a lot of them were lap steels but they did have the spanish models those were the earliest electric guitars the rickenbacker bakelite electro spanish guitars those were crazy guitars that sounds awesome yeah, bakelite so anyway we're getting yeah, way we're off way topic. Off. <laughs> Those are kind of the three categories of nut materials. Natural materials, and then the high-end plastics that are meant to simulate the natural materials, and then just the low-end crappy plastic stuff that they put on, you know. And that would be your order of preference. Johnson's and... Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that would be my order of preference. Um, In my opinion, the synthetics sound okay, but to me it's a deal-breaker because it's it's an aesthetic thing. Um, the the whole reason behind a, the the synthetic nuts is that um, they're just they're made, you know, 
a million at a time. Right. Where a a bone nut has to be put together by a craftsman, basically. Right. So it's well, a quality an, difference. An animal grew it. Right. In his leg or something. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't come easy. Uh, so that's, you know, it's, yeah, there's, there's more to consider than just tone when it comes to nut material, but, um, that, I hope that answers your question. Uh, and then as to how leather is crafted into stuff. Man, you should see her make straps. It's unbelievable. I'm thinking about taking a video. Yeah. So basically I start with a cow side, which is like pretty much about four feet by eight feet. It might be one of the same cows that I got the, some of my bone yeah. from. They should, yeah, those cows should talk. <laughs> uh, anyway, so I have I start out with this big sheet of cow hide, and I cut it into strips and make strap blanks out of the strips and shape them and, you know, make sure they look nice. And then, and then I do what's called casing the leather, which is a really complicated process where you put water on the leather. <laughs> and then you let it dry a little bit. Uh, and then you take a knife and you carve into the leather. So you're actually cutting into the top layers of the leather. And there's fancy names for it, like the epidermis or something. Uh, but you don't cut all the way through. You know, you just cut through the top layers of the, the leather. And then you take these special little stamps. And they're they're normally about the size of a pea. You know, just, you know, they're on a little stick. They're a little stamp about the size of a pea. And... You just have to blend together all your little stamp marks. So, with different textures on them, right? And different shapes, and different on shapes, them. and different so sizes, that, yeah, and so that you can get different designs on your strap, right? Uh, and so once it's once it's carved, you you tool it with the little stamps and a hammer and a hammer, and it's tap 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 tap. Uh, and then once it that's done, you let it dry, or well, I guess you can dye it right then, but usually I let it dry and then. I either paint, dye, antique, or some combination of those three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you got to polish it and burnish the edges. And if it's has sewn on back, you have to saddle stitch all and the way around. That's all and, done by hand. She does yeah. that by hand. It's an amazing process. I, we need to take a video of you doing that yeah. and put it on my uh, YouTube channel, which if you haven't checked out, you should. Just type my name into YouTube, Eric Daw, E-R-I-C-D-A-W. There's videos of me there, rewinding pickups and all kinds of stuff. But yeah. we'll we'll put, and oh, and I put up the uh, the video I talked about that where I was going to play this oh, outro yeah. song. Yeah, you put that up on YouTube. I put that up on YouTube. Nice. And we'll take a video of Melissa making some leather yeah. straps and, and put it up on there. On, on my Instagram, I posted one picture just a few days ago. Um my Instagram is at Melco Leather, uh, and it's just a picture of three straps that I'm working on. It's the same design for each, but just different stages. In different of, stages. That's cool. Of completion, yeah. so you can look at that to kind of get a closer awesome. idea. Yeah. And uh, oh, his what, final question, yeah. which is really important: What actress would play me in a film? Probably Kira Knightley. Really? Yeah. Why? Either that or Ethel Merman. <laughs> I don't know. That's Kira Knightley is the one I think of that you, that you look most like. Oh, okay. Who would play me? A young, ruggedly handsome Clint Eastwood. No, please. Or uh, Harrison Ford. I was thinking Steve Buscemi. Or uh, Johnny Depp. Maybe Pee Wee Herman. Um. Anyhow, moving right along. Oh, sorry. I was thinking of actors. Yeah. Hey, Eric. My name is Hunter, and I just started listening to your podcast a few weeks back, and I already have made it through almost all of your episodes. I cannot wait until they're weekly. Cool. First question for you. A few years back, I acquired a possibly vintage acoustic guitar with no name on it for $10. That's a good deal any day of the week. Sure. It has a serial number stamped on the inside that looks to read 3897SR211 and a red stamp near the sound hole. It also looks like there might have been a name stamp on it that has been worn off. I was hoping you could help me identify it from the attached pictures, and if not, you could refer refer me to someone who might know. Next question. 
question. As a young person like me at 19 years old, what would be the best way to get into guitar building and repair? And last, how do you know when your guitar needs a refret? I have a Gibson Les Paul Jr., one of the newer ones with the humbucker, that I got about five years ago, and it plays great, but I was wondering how often I should get it refretted. Thanks for the awesome podcast, Hunter from South Central Iowa. Cool. Thanks, Hunter. He sent me some pictures of this guitar in question, and I'm going to use one of them as the image for uh, the show, this episode, which is episode 36. So, episode 36's show image will be this guitar, and it is, drumroll please, a Supertone. Cool. Yeah, I knew right away when I saw it. I've seen a, a million of these. They must have made a ton of these. Um, Supertone is the predecessor of Silvertone. Really? Yeah. So, Supertone is Sears' house name from about 1915 to like 1940 or so. Wow. Yeah, so it's probably a 30s or so supertone. And uh cool. yeah, Sears didn't make guitars. They they contracted out other other companies who are who made guitars to to make guitars for them and put their name on it and uh that's the name they used back then, supertone. And then that's made by Harmony. Wow. Yeah. So it's So Harmony made it for Sears. They put the supertone name on it. And then around about 1940 or so, uh, they changed it to Silvertone. But you could tell that this is not a Silvertone, that it's a right. Supertone. It's a Supertone. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'd say that Hunter got a pretty dang good deal then for yeah. a 30s guitar. Oh, yeah. For $10. Yeah, especially if it plays. A yeah. lot of those that need, I mean, I'm sure it, it probably needs a neck reset or something. I don't know. If it plays, then score. Yeah. Nice. He also wants to know, as a young person, 19 years old, what's the best way to get into guitar building and repair? Well, find somebody who's doing it and talk to them and uh, bug them. That's one thing you can do. The other thing that, what something that I did, which was uh, I bought every book I could find on the subject and read about it thoroughly. That helps, but nothing really beats experience. So, you know, work on your own guitars. Uh, buy crummy guitars at thrift stores and pawn shops and experiment on them. Take them apart. See what makes them tick. Read those books that, I was, that I'm talking about. You know, find books about guitar repair and guitar building. And uh, experiment on crummy little guitars. You, this is a, kind of off topic, but... I didn't know how to garden, and I decided one day I was going to learn how to garden. And so I read about 50 books and during the winter. And when spring came around, I started to do stuff, and I was like, oh, I know how to do this. So don't discount reading books, because just sitting oh, down yeah. and reading through a book, it will actually, as long as oh, you yeah. retain the knowledge, it's... It's very useful. It's very useful. It is very useful, but nothing beats, especially when it comes to mechanical things, which gardening kind of is but really not so much uh i mean if you can read about how to refret a guitar but that doesn't mean you know how to do it you right. know what i'm saying right um the ama the other amazing thing that they have now that they didn't have when i was 19 which is youtube right there's guys doing all kinds of repair stuff on youtube that you can check out and i think most of it's pretty legit occasionally you see some clown that that's doing something you shouldn't do, but yeah. So there you go. That's what I would suggest. Lastly, he wants to know how do, how do you know when your guitar needs a refret? Well, the frets will get worn. So, you know, from play, uh, the actual fret wire, you know, the metal part of the fret will get divots in it from playing. And, uh, at some point, if it gets low enough, you have to, take the frets out and put new ones in but along the way usually especially on a gibson like you're talking about a modern gibson uh, they usually have big enough frets that you can do a fret level first so uh that's a resurfacing of the existing frets so that they're all level and uh yeah if if he says it plays great but i was wondering how often i should get it refretted well if it plays great i wouldn't worry about it you know when it when it starts to get a lot of fret wear, then you'll have intonation problems, you'll have buzzing, you know, so 
uh, yeah, keep an eye on it and just look at it. Look at the fretware. See how it looks. Cool. Yeah. Well, thank you, Hunter, from here's, South Central Iowa. Here's another suggestion. If you want to get into guitar repair, go to Stuart McDonald on the, online, stewmac.com, S-T-E-W-M-A-C.com, and order one of their catalogs. I think they're free. If you get, you know, you get on their mailing list, they send you their catalog because they sell all kinds of tools, mostly, uh, and they also have books and DVDs and stuff in the back. But just reading through that is kind of an education in guitar repair because you you look at all these specialty tools and you think, wow, that's how they do that. And you can read all about the tool and what it does. And, right. Yeah, so that's that's kind of a cool way to... And like I say, I think it's free. Or if you order something from them, then all of a sudden now you're on their mailing list. They, they'll send you a catalog. Right. So maybe order some fret files and, and do a fret level on your uh, on your Gibson there if it, if it needs it. And then, uh, they'll, then they'll start sending you a Stumac catalog. Cool. Eric, I got a good deal at a thrift store on some spools of plastic-coated wire, just like the stuff they use inside guitars. I didn't notice until I brought it home, but it's all solid core wire and not the standard, the stranded stuff that they typically use. I'm sure it's still okay to use in guitars, though, isn't it? In my mind, it's probably even better. If you think of the wire as a pipe for electricity to flow through, a big pipe is better than a bunch of little pipes. Or am I thinking about this all wrong? What are your thoughts on solid copper wire versus stranded copper wire? Thanks for taking the time to answer my question. Dean M. Dean, my man, I like your question. And uh, first of all, I like it because... You were shopping at a thrift store, which I'm all about the thrift stores. We do that a lot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you scored some wire, which is great. I mean, I love I love finding old electronics or old parts or, you know, things that I can use at, at thrift stores. A lot of my own tools that I have in the shop, I've made out of things that I found at, at thrift stores. Anyhow, he wants to know what the difference is between solid copper wire versus stranded copper wire. Solid copper wire is typically used in instances where um, whatever it is that you're wiring will never move. It will never be taken apart. It will never be opened up um, because that copper wire, the solid stuff, can break really easily. And it'll, it can break, un, come unhooked from its solder joint. It can break, you know, in the middle, just right in the middle of the wire. Um, it's pretty fragile. That's why they have stranded copper wire, because stranded copper wire is much more flexible. So with an electric guitar, where you take the pickguard on and off sometimes to work on it, uh, you really want to use stranded copper wire. You do occasionally see an old, cheap guitar, like from, you know, Slovakia or Finland or Japan or something, some weird guitar that has solid copper wire in it sometimes. You got something against Finland? Yeah. And, uh, but the way to go is with, is stranded. So really you should, you you know, that's cool that you got the wire. Maybe you can use it for something, but in guitars, you should use stranded. He says, it's probably better if you think of wire as a pipe for electricity to flow through. A big pipe is better than a bunch of little pipes, or am I thinking about this all wrong? I've heard, and I'm not an electrical engineer, so don't quote me on this, but I have heard from Amptex that the electrons travel on the surface of the wire. So it's actually better to have a bunch of strands of wire because Because there's more surface area. surface area. Now, the, the voltages we're dealing with inside an electric guitar, it probably doesn't make that much difference at all because we're talking about just a trickle of electricity that are being put out by your pickups. I mean, just that's why you have to have such a big amplifier because there's almost nothing going on there. So it probably doesn't matter from an audio standpoint, although I don't know. It might. I don't know. Like I say, I'm not an electrical engineer, so I don't know, but that's what I've been told. The signal actually travels on the, on the electrons travel on the surface of the wire uh, so stranded wire should be better, but that's not the reason we're using it. The reason we're using it is because it's flexible and it won't break, which you don't want. Right. 
Thanks, Dean. Uh, oh, t- I just noticed something. Um, Jonathan in Victoria, Canada. Are you okay? <laughs> we have we, we don't have a question from you this month. <coughs> he took the he took the month off. If anybody knows Jonathan, can can you send us an email? Make sure he's okay. Somebody check Jonathan's room. Uh, anyway, last question. <clears throat> Eric, in your 20 years of experience, what would you cite as the most valuable repair lesson you've learned? Jim T. It's a great question, Jim, and I've thought a lot about it, and there's a few things that I would say. One of the most valuable repair lessons is this. Check the simplest thing first. I guess that makes sense. And I know it sounds... That sounds pretty obvious. It sounds pretty obvious, but you you just don't know how many times people bring you a guitar and they explain all these crazy things going on with it. Like, well, uh, sometimes it'll make this weird noise and, and sometimes, you know, it'll work fine for a while and then it quits working. And then, uh, you know, they, they what they want to do is explain to you all the symptoms, right? And what you have to do is figure out the problem, not the symptoms. And uh, if it's like, I don't know how many times on an acoustic guitar with a pickup or on an electric bass, nine times out of ten, it's the battery. There's a nine-volt battery in so many electric basses, so many acoustic guitars with pickups. And so many times the customer doesn't even know that. So they come to they come to you with this guitar and they go, man, the pickup works, but then it'll make this weird noise and it'll crap out or it's getting distorted and and then it'll sit for a while and then I'll plug it in again and it's fine again, you know, and all that's going on is their battery's dying. I mean, it's the simplest fix in the right, world, but right. if you start chasing down some weird audio problem, yeah, you know, you'll have the guitar taken apart. And, yeah. Plug it in first, listen to it, check it out, change the battery, check the simplest things first. That's that's a big time saver. It's obvious, right? Everybody knows that, but it's just what came to my mind. It's a big deal. Check the simplest things first. Um, the other thing that I would say has been one of my most valuable lessons that I've learned is that, uh, you know, typically, this is hard to say, tip, typically in the customer service industry, which guitar repair is. Right, yes. Typically in the customer service industry, the, the customer is always right. At least that's what they say. Right. right. Well, that's just not always true. Right. And. In Eric Dahl world, the customer is always wrong. No, God, no. What I'm saying is um, there's a way to pluck a guitar string that <laughs> will make the guitar buzz. There's just nothing that you can do. If a lot of times it's operator error, I'm just saying that even the most properly set up and well-made guitar, there are players out there who will ma- who will find a way to make that string buzz, and then they'll right. bring it to you and say, "Hey, my guitar buzzes." Sit down with the player and have them play it for you. And another thing that this is something that I like to do. If a guitar is operating properly, I'll demonstrate it to the customer, you know, and play it. And sometimes just showing them that the guitar doesn't buzz is helpful enough to... And this is a delicate thing. I, right, I realize you're, you're smiling and you're laughing, but... But well, you just can't say that to a customer. It's like, difficult. It's, it's difficult, but I've met people and it's not every... It's not even close to every time. There's a few people a year that I've experienced who just have a knack for making guitars buzz. They just have a heavy hand. They just they have they just know exactly how to hit a string to make it buzz. Because mm-hmm. I can make any guitar buzz. I can pick up any guitar and make it buzz. I don't care how high the action is. Right. I don't care how well it's been set up. I don't care how well made it is. If you if you're bound and determined to make that string buzz, you can do it. And some people have made it a hobby to make their guitars buzz and then go bother guitar repairmen. So keep that in mind. It does happen. I'm telling you. 
This is it's going to be a new mental most illness. Most people are reasonable. But how do you fix how do you fix fret buzz when the problem is that the player is making it buzz on purpose, but they don't know it. That yeah, that becomes like a a Freudian type issue. So you have to get a little bit uh, creative about explaining physics and <laughs> and seriously, you know, it's happened a lot of times where I play the guitar for the customer and demonstrate, you know doesn't buzz when I play it. Dot, dot, dot. But you do it nicely, I'm yeah. sure. You, I do, yeah. And I and it's a delicate thing, like I say. But, and it doesn't, it's not all the time. It's a very rare thing, but they're just, just be aware. Just watch out. If you're, if, if you haven't, and I'm sure that if you're a veteran in the field, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But there are people out there that just have a knack for making guitars buzz. That's another lesson I've learned. I don't know. What else can I tell you? I feel like I had another point to make about your question, but I think that, I guess that'll do, Jim. Thanks for the question. Thank you for listening, everyone. I I really do appreciate it. We really, we have fun doing this podcast, and, and we're so glad that so many of you are listening and so many of you enjoy the podcast. We have fun with it. You know, I mean, it's not all serious all the time. It's fun. It's extremely serious. And I want to tell my wife happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah. Happy birthday. Thanks. Please participate in the show. You can do so by going to ericdaw.com, E-R-I-C-D-A-W.com. Click the contact link, and uh, that will take you to a form you can fill out. Submit your question or comment there. The other way to do it is call. Calls get priority 757 Seven seven four eight four eight two. You can call or text that number any time of night or day, and I'll use your comment or question as part of the show. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Michael Van Dieven over at ufoship.com, where our podcast lives. And uh, we'll talk to you all uh, next uh, next month, huh? Sweet. Bye. Bye bye.